The teaching text this morning comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Very nice to see you. I'm going to start with a question that may uh, seem slightly unrelated to what we just read, but uh, I think it, it, it fits, um, and if it doesn't, we'll get there. What do you think God wants for the world? What do you think represents God's heart towards us? What's God's desire for us? I'm guessing if we could hear one another's inner monologue right now, there'd be a variety of answers going on. Maybe those of us who are the closest to trouble or pain in our life, you know, the answer would be... uh, bruised on some level. Like when we, when we go through pain, when we experience tragedy, when we look out at the suffering in the world, it can make us question that, you know, or something like that. If God is there, if God, if God cares, if there's a way that we could really truly count on God to act on our behalf in a consistent or substantial or meaningful way, that we could count on God to act in that way. My guess is when we start to answer a question like that, many of us start with our experience and then we work out from there. And our experiences are certainly going to be uh, varied and so they are gonna give us different types of guesses about what God is like. Even though we say uh, we're, we're worshiping the same God and we, and we are, uh, our, our experience, our, our you know, subjective awareness of that God can be, can be different. And when you start from your experience and work out, you know, it yields certain types of results. Another thing to consider is that when you begin with your angle, like you see the world from one particular angle, when you begin with your angle and your sort of uh, perception of the state of the world, and then you extrapolate God from there, again, you're going to get a, a variety of different types of, uh, of answers. And of course, we only see one particular angle, and our experience you know, comes to bear on that, and so... I think many of you find it easy to believe in God. A God whose nature is love and who loves you. I know, I know some of you have had coffee with you, I've sat with you. I know some of you find it easy to believe in God. Some of you can't think of a time when you didn't believe in God. Some of you, though, belief in God feels absolutely impossible. <laughs> so, 
we have our experiences, but apart from your experiences, uh, they're tremendously important. How else could you get a sense for what God is like, for what God cares about, for whether or not God is loving or not? Another thing just to throw in the mix of consideration is what if, what if God wants us to know what God is like? Wants us to know how to know God, how to relate to God, how to be loved by God. But that revelation is not exactly simple. What if that was the case? There might be different places to go for that type of revelation. Uh, The natural world may tell us something about God, but it may not tell us everything. The scriptures uh, may reveal crucial things about God, but we also may say, I need some help understanding that. It's not, it's not simple, whatever the revelation is. It's not always immediately easy to fully grasp. The testimony of many people in this room, many people across the, the, the ages of history, across the time zones of the world even now, would give testimony that they believe God has come to us in revelation, in human form, in the person of Jesus Christ, and for 33 years revealed what God is like. And then ultimately that his life and death and resurrection and the movement that he began relationally handing off to his followers tells us a great deal about what God is like in the world what God cares about, what God's about, how God can be relied on. There are those also who say that because of Christ's accomplishment, because of his life and death, that he has given us his spirit. And so as mysterious as this may be to you, that the actual spirit of God is here in this middle school. And many of you have the experience of the actual spirit of God filling your life and being sort of like a, a, a translator for what God is like in your own heart, in your own mind, for empowering you to, if you could say this, love the way God loves. Is that too much? I don't think so. Why would I start like this? This is a Christian church. Many of you, I, I, know, I know for years and years and years, and I know you, you go well beyond a mere belief in the existence of God. Many of you know and love Jesus. Many of you, of course, are filled with the Spirit of God. But sometimes zooming back to 30,000 feet and then sort of coming in for a moment will reveal places that we've ignored or taken for granted. What is God's heart for us? Can we know? And what if the reason that sometimes answering that feels confusing or painful is because, of course, the world is broken? I don't think any of us are saying things are exactly as they should be. Everything's wonderful, right? There is a brokenness in the world. And, and, and we may debate, you know, how that brokenness came to be or, what the, or the extent of that brokenness or what it actually means. But what if that brokenness is part of why the revelation of what God's really like is difficult, <laughs> is not always immediately simple. And what if, because of that brokenness, God's heart aches as much or more than ours? What on earth would that be like? So, we're gonna bounce back and forth a couple of times from 30,000 foot to right in front of our face. But Genesis 1 uh, the, the, the beginning of the story of the Hebrew scriptures, the, the place we, we locate the beginning, says whatever else it says, 
And it says, it says a lot. And there are certainly questions we try to make that text answer that it's not trying to answer. But whatever else Genesis 1 says, it indicates that God initiated a world that was good on every level. As a matter of fact, as part of the Hebrew poetry, the refrain that gets repeated over and over again is that something is, is made, that it somehow reflects and, and holds God's beauty and creativity and teeming abundance. And, and, and even in, in humanity, God's own image is born. And at every stage, God God says, it is good. Sometimes we begin to present like the message of the good news of the gospel at Genesis 3, which is where the problems show up. But the beginning of the scriptures, the beginning of the Hebrew story, the beginning of our story is that God has made something and called it good at every level. That's important. That there's goodness in the person of God, that there's goodness in humanity's initial understanding of themselves, that the way they relate to one another is they relate to one another in love. The way they operate in the, in the world with creation is in harmony and in balance. That, that every level of relationship, there's goodness. Now, Genesis 3, and we, you knew we were going to get there, but whatever else Genesis 3 says... And it says a lot, and there are questions we try to make that text answer that it's not trying to answer, but whatever else is going on in Genesis 3, it indicates this, that before humanity showed up in the story, that there are forces at work in the universe that are not in line with God's heart and desire, and some of those forces are actively working against God. So... Genesis 3, the way it plays out is there's deception and temptation and human beings very early on in our own story fall for the lie of trying to get the good things of this world without taking God into account. We try to meet the deep needs of our life as we perceive them in our own way. And right, that's the temptation of of that Genesis 3 moment is you can get what God's withholding from you your own way. And that's, in a sense, the heartbeat behind what the scripture goes on to describe as sin. It's not just going and doing obviously bad things. It's, it's, sometimes it can look really respectable, but it's trying to meet the deep needs of your life without taking God into account. As if you just decided, I'll be born now, and I'll have these gifts and abilities, and I'll go out and make my way in the world. So Genesis 3. The devastation of the fall that's represented there is devastating because it hits every level. It is spiritual. It is psychological. It is relational. It is is physical. What is broken when we part ways with God is everything. All the relational framework of our world is damaged in the most substantial way. So just to put it so clearly, how we relate to God is damaged. How we understand and perceive God is damaged. What's the thing that you see the human beings made in God's image who have deeply communed and walked in love, what do they do after this devastating incident in Genesis 3? The thing you see them doing is hiding. How they relate to God changes how they understand themselves, right? They had the first sort of drip and sizzle on the soul of insecurity. What did that feel like? First time you ever felt insecurity and fear. Never felt it before. How we understand ourselves changes. How we relate to each other. You see it right away. The first marital, you know, like spat takes place. She told me to eat it. Oh, he was supposed to be here. Like, 
That's the message translation. <laughs> How we relate to and, t- and, and, and treat the earth, right? Work becomes difficult. After this, Mondays were awful. Things get really horribly messed up. Okay, but God, far from standing back and folding arms and saying, look what you did, is in the mix right away trying to repair things. And that is important for how we're going to come to answer the question, what is God's heart for us? Because right away, after, after the devastation of Genesis 3 ripples through the world, God is right there in the mix trying to repair things. So, so much we know, or what we know so far could be summarized, God seems to give us a good world, And God seems, once that good world is ripped through with brokenness, he wants to repair and heal that broken world. That seems to be the heart that's indicated in the Hebrew scriptures. It's the heart that's indicated in where our story begins. Now, people have debated this a lot. I've sat on the couch with my wife, and we've asked ourselves the question, why even put the possibility of a fall in the mix? Why on earth give us a shot to blow it? Why give us an opportunity to go wrong if things can go wrong? And guess what? God does not seem to fully answer that question. And that's a little frustrating at times. Is the reason that we had to, that there had to be an opportunity for things to go south is that human beings had to have will. They had to have the ability to make choices that matter. So free will is, the, is a good enough and, and majestic enough and power enough, full enough gift that it had to be present for human beings to make choices. Maybe love is not really possible unless you can make choices that matter in the process. And so maybe that's a partial answer to the question or maybe it's just part of God's design, right? You, you get like theological camps inside of Christianity around the answers to these questions. Is there a spiritual ecology in the universe that we're not totally aware of that does require there to be good and evil? Is that part of, 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 of why it was set up the way that it was? Are there spiritual laws that are as real and meaningful and must be abided to the same way gravity is in our world? Like, if you operate in this way spiritually, the result will be this. I just saw Interstellar with my kids this, this week, and then gravity's not working correctly. Man. Did, did there have to be a, um, an opportunity for things to go wrong because God had already been engaged with other beings? <laughs> There were other spiritual beings, forces in the world that were in conflict with God, and that's the reason temptation is first presented in the story. Like whatever else is going on with humanity and God, there's this other force that seems to come in and introduce temptation, introduce this idea that you can meet the deep needs of your life without God involved. So really and truly, let's be honest, God doesn't seem super nervous about answering the question in a way that's deeply satisfying to us or to our philosophy 101 professors. And if you want to hold that against God that he doesn't answer that question satisfactorily, that, that's fine. But you should also, along with that, consider what does God look like when God 
claims to be showing up. When God claims to be showing up, what is God doing? And the answer that the scripture seems to insist on over and over again is he's trying to make things right. He's trying to work repair. A long story of repair for sure, but a story of repair nonetheless. And whatever forces have been at work in making the world wrong, God seems to be about wanting to make the world right. And so when Jesus shows up in the story, which is this culminating revelation of God, the scriptures go, go in, in the new, later in the New Testament call Jesus the fullness of God in bodily form. If Jesus is the best shot we have of knowing what God would look like if God was walking in human form because Jesus was God walking in human form and showing us the kingdom of God, he announces it, he demonstrates it, he invites us in. What does Jesus get up to? What is he about? And how does that relate to the answer to the question, what's God's heart for the world? What we've been looking at since the, the beginning of the year is this passage in Luke 4 that shares Jesus's like a manifesto, his resolutions for his ministry. He reads this from, from Israel's most prolific prophet, Isaiah, what it's supposed to look like when the kingdom of God breaks in. And then he says, today this is being fulfilled in your hearing in me personally. I'm not pointing you to another path. I am saying I am the way, Jesus does. And, and, and our summary of, of how we've understood, and, and if you go through Luke 4 and you read the, 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 the list from Isaiah 61, you, here's what you get. You get the ministry of Jesus, salvation, freedom, healing, mercy, love, favor. You want to know what God's heart is? Well, this is what is radiating through the life of Christ towards us. It is about repair at every single level of the world's brokenness. So, we have one week to go in this, and we've come to recovery of sight for the blind. Now, why do we live in a world where people go blind? I do not fully know. I think my best guess is that in some way it ripples out from the fall and fissures of brokenness that affect everything in our world. But I also, just alongside that, I believe that God loves to do the work of repair. He loves to do the work of healing. That however much my heart is moved with compassion for someone, I've actually come to experience that God's heart is moved to that point and beyond. That actually my best moments of compassion are reflective of the deep abiding river of compassion that I have found in, in the character of God's heart. So, this is recovery of sight to the blind. I wanna say this, it's one type of healing, of course. I think it's in the list as representative of all the types of, of physical healing and spiritual healing that Christ has come to do. But this is, this is the one example that happens to be in this resolution list that we've been looking at. So let's just take just that one for a second. Let's read a few things, okay? Here we go. Mark 8. Then they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. 
Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Then Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Simple, straightforward, easy enough. Okay, Mark 10, another example. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, they uh, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means, interestingly, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, he's annoying people. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. One more, John 9. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked him, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others says, no, he only looks like him. Exactly like him. Um, this is my commentary offer for you. Um, but he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is the man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. <laughs> I wasn't able to see before, if you forgot. Okay. When Jesus encounters blindness... He longs to heal it. In these examples, he does heal it. The John 9 encounter in particular, you should go and just read the remainder of that chapter because the fallout after this guy who's like, I can't find Jesus, I don't know what he did, and they're like, no, tell us where he is. And there's a big to-do about, about what, what happens, but it, it reveals that not just was this man physically blind, but many in the community are spiritually blind and dead set on holding on to the vision of the world that they have no matter what other information is introduced. <laughs> they refuse to see something that does not already fit into the world they've settled on. So there's physical blindness and spiritual blindness in the John 9 account. But when, when God shows up in human form, Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, what do you see? You see a healer. John and Ellie, uh, who were here last week, Ellie spoke uh, last Sunday, if you, if you were here, and was talking about the ministry of the Spirit, and they travel with this wild Californian dude named John Wimber who helped start a denomination called the Vineyard um, back, back in the day, and, and he, he says this, which I think is so just clear and helpful. Everywhere Jesus went, he functioned as a healer. 41 distinct instances of physical and mental healing are recorded in the four Gospels. 
But this by no means represents the total. Many of these references summarize the healing of large numbers of people. The accounts described in detail are simply the more dramatic instances of the healing ministry of Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, he functioned as a healer. Nearly one-fifth. Yes, I've made that, sh- that slide myself. In case you don't know about fractions, I put one up for you. Um, nearly one-fifth of the space taken up in the Gospels is devoted to Jesus' healing ministry or the discussion that it sparks. Here's another number. Out of 3,799 verses in the four Gospels, I didn't count them, I looked this up, 727 relate specifically to the healing of physical and mental illnesses or the resurrection of the dead. 727. Incidentally, that's my wife's birthday, 727. You have a lot of shopping days to go. Jesus heals. Whatever else he does, encouraging, restoring someone's identity, calling them, forgiving them, planting his Holy Spirit in them to give them an entirely new life, letting people have a share in his resurrection, all the stuff, whatever the list of things over here that you're wildly comfortable that Jesus does, he does those, and guess what? He also heals. And when he meets people who are demonically possessed, he sets them free. When he runs into people sometimes that are absolutely hiding things and using their, their, uh, their power in the world to socially control people who are weaker than them, sometimes he'll call out their secret thoughts and what we come to call a word of knowledge. He has full range of the reality of the kingdom of God through the power of the spirit, right? The same spirit, incidentally, that lives in you and I. We'll get to that. So Jesus heals. But even from these three instances, just of healing one type of ailment, of healing blindness, he doesn't always do it the same way. If you're looking for an exact formula for how God heals, you're not going to find it. However, if you're looking for things that you can learn and apply and even, dare I say, try yourself, they are there. So just quickly, just from the three accounts we just just read, what do we see? One, he, he shows compassion. Over and over again, Jesus moves towards the person who needs healing. Everyone else is annoyed. This guy's shouting. He's like, come, bring him over here. No, let's, what, we have time for this. This we have time for, of course. Like there are other times where it says Jesus is so moved in his inner person. It's like he's just churning inside with compassion. In one instance, we see that the healing is immediate, right? That's the one I would certainly choose. If I was experiencing it or I was praying for someone, I'll take the immediate healing. Thank you by the word. No need for the spit. In others, it takes, it takes a process. In one, it takes only a word. But uh, in, in the other example, there's a partial healing. The guy sees a little bit, but he's like, people are trees. And she's like, no, 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 let's go again. And he heals him all the way. And then he he fully sees. So in the beginning, even Jesus' ministry, there was a partial healing. And then later, there was full healing. And then I don't know why you have the special mud and spit combination that shows up twice. But maybe it's like Christ is showing us, like, I am reanimating this broken world. 
Faith is involved in these, in these miracles of healing. Faith is involved, but not always the same way. If you look through the stories again, one guy is brought to Jesus by other people. There's no indication that he has any faith of his own. Other people bring him to Jesus and like, this guy's gonna help you. The other guy has lots of faith. He's bothering everyone, but he's shouting out on his own. Son of David, have mercy on me. So in one instance, it's the other people's faith. In this instance, it's this guy's faith. One isn't looking for him at all. He's just going through his regular routine. This is how I survive. And he experiences Jesus. And then he experiences a frustrating controversy related to it. And he only believes later. So some of you, and this is an interesting thing, some of you who will have experienced the ministry of the Holy Spirit to you, you might have experienced compassion and love and, 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 and a sense of mercy and care. You might have experienced healing and still you don't believe. You know the Spirit can minister to you and then later you come to believe. That's wild. Pretty lavish of God to just be like, yeah, of course. I know we don't know each other, but be healed. One guy, Jesus doesn't want to go back to his village. The other guy ends up exposing the spiritual blindness of his rabbis, of his community leaders. So, we get into the details of the story, we start to see some interesting things. Jesus has compassion. Jesus heals. Faith is involved, but not always the exact same way. The results vary. They don't, the spiritual gifts, this is something so wild. We talk about, especially like the miracle, like nobody has any problem with like encouragement and leadership and teaching and generosity. Like they're so natural. Of course, the first time you try them, they don't work perfectly and you have to grow in them. But you get over here and you're trying like uh, sharing a prophetic word or praying for healing or, or, or having a word of knowledge for someone and the first time it doesn't work, it's like, it's because it doesn't work ever. It's a process. And guess, and here's the crazy thing, is that spiritual giftedness and sometimes even the result of, of the ministry of the Holy Spirit doesn't always work right along the lines of maturity. It's not like the most mature and well-adjusted and just like Jesus among us are the only ones that get to have a share in the miraculous, loving ministry of Jesus' Holy Spirit. Some of you, like you'll be day one. You, look at the account in Acts, day one. These people have trusted Christ and they're proclaiming prophetically, they're speaking in tongues, miracles of healing are going on. Are they mature enough to handle it? Absolutely not. See Corinthians. It's a mess. And God's like, I'm in the mess. I love this. I love you trying. I love you trusting me. I love you believing. I love that it doesn't make sense. I love that you have to dismiss this nonsense that you've seen on TV somewhere and this abuse that you, that you saw going on uh, as this was manipulated in the, in, in, in the church that you spent a few years in. But I want you to know my heart is moved with compassion to heal the world at every single level. Physically, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, your, 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 your broken finger and your, your gouged eye and all of it. So, one more time, back to 30,000 foot for just a second. To say a couple of things we say all the time here, but I want you to hear them in this context. We have a relational God. That comes to bear on the nature of the universe. We have a relational God. A God who has love as an essential part of his being. 
We sing that God is holy, and sometimes we mean like stodgy and perfect and better than us. And, 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 and there's a way to make a case for that, but when we sing holy, we mean other. We mean set apart, and God in his nature is different than us in that somehow one God, Yahweh, has Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in his very being. So God has community and love in his nature. We have a relational God. We have a relational world because of it. God's kingdom, I know this is like so obvious and you get it, but God's kingdom is a relational kingdom. When you look, we've been doing this in the seconds course, when you look at Israel's most prolific prophet that has the most examples of this is what the kingdom of God is going to look like when the kingdom of God breaks into the world in fullness. The signs of the kingdom that you see in Isaiah, let me just, I'm not gonna put them on the screen, just listen like it's the 90s, here we go. Salvation and deliverance. Sign of the kingdom. Righteousness and justice, sign of the kingdom. Peace, joy, God's presence, healing, return from exile. When the kingdom is breaking through, salvation and deliverance, I'm so on board with that. Healing as well. When Jesus has to give a summary of the most important part of all the Hebrew scriptures, they're trying to trap him and say, give us the most important part. What's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, love is the center. The fruit of the Spirit, later in the New Testament, what is the fruit if God's Spirit mingles with human character, what is produced? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. So many of them are relational fruit. They do not make sense outside of intimate connection with another. Relational kingdom, relational summary out of the mouth of Jesus, relational when the spirit is alive in us. So I know this is, again, we're just hitting the basics, but I want you to hear it in terms of what we're going to. God shares and moves the kingdom along relational lines. That is, I think, in just mechanics, why he's like, don't, don't send someone out to a, new, to a new job or a role without laying hands on them and praying for them. Don't ask for someone to be made well without laying your hands and praying, praying for them. Because I want you to see, I'm gonna put the mechanics right here in front of you. This is passing along relational lines. It is God sharing his power and love and compassion and mercy and miraculous gifts with us. So, in the Gospels, we see people encounter Jesus, encounter his followers, those he sends out, and what they're encountering is this relational kingdom of God. So, at the beginning of Luke 4, it said, he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So we know, and we had a whole sermon on this, it's back in this series if you wanna go back and listen to it. I'm not gonna say everything now, but Jesus operated in the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you see those examples of Jesus healing, he is doing that in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus heals people. Are we clear? Heals them physically, heals them spiritually. Then, the followers of Jesus, those who trusted him, receive the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, do what I have shown you. Do what I do. 
The last thing he gives to his disciples in Matthew 28 was posted, it was painted in like a mural on my, in my Baptist church I grew up in. Go into all the world. <laughs> Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Basically like show them the way that I've been living in front of you. Do what I do. Jesus says startlingly, astonishingly to his followers, you're gonna do greater things than I've done. How? The Spirit of God that filled Jesus because of his life, death, and resurrection can come and fill you as you are united to him by faith. So you can do what Jesus does. Expect the care and compassion and love and mercy and yes, even healing of Jesus to flow in relational way as a part of an expression of his healing of the world and his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. So what do you do when you encounter the brokenness of the world? Lots of things, but you don't have to guess about these that we see in the healing accounts. You can share the kingdom of God along relational lines. You can lay your hands on someone and pray for them to be well. I think most of you are totally fine with that. What you may have a problem with is the expectation that it's always going to happen, yes, and let's make a TV show of it, right? I don't know where you're at, but like, you can lay your hands on someone and share the relational kingdom and pray for them to be well, and sometimes they will be. And I think you can come to pray like expecting every time God's gonna pour out his love and compassion and healing in a way sometimes you're gonna see right on the spot and sometimes it might be later and sometimes you won't know, but you can always pray for healing. <laughs> Jesus is a healer. Jesus is a healer. Of course he's a savior. Of course he's a teacher, he's a rabbi. Of course he's a destiny changer and an encourager, but he's a healer. And it's not primarily weird, it's not primarily manipulative, even if some of us have seen it used that way. It's not only for some Christians, it is a ministry of the Holy Spirit for anyone who is united to Christ. So, I'm gonna say this, I've been saying it, but if you ask for healing, in Jesus' case, it didn't always work the same way. So, there's a real, Wimber said, the main thing you need is an openness to the Holy Spirit to lead you in the moment to lay your hands on someone and to keep your eyes open and say, God, what are you doing here? Is there something you wanna speak through me? I'm listening even as I'm speaking or I'm waiting. Holy Spirit, how should I pray? Okay, I'm gonna pray for healing, God. I don't feel a lot of like, when we say pray with faith, sometimes I think we, we think we mean ratchet up an internal feeling of confidence that this is going to work. That's not what it is. Praying in faith is, I believe in the character of Jesus. I believe that Jesus is a healer. I believe that I'm coming in the name and on the account of Christ. It's not how many magic words can I string together. It's not how much can I really mean it. It is, I believe you're a healer. Would you pass your healing right now to this person in Jesus' name? You look at Jesus' prayers and they're so short. See. Get up, take your mat, be well. Like, you don't have to twist God's arm and be like, please heal, I really care about this person. He's like, yeah, 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 I care so much. There may be factors at work that you're not aware of, still pray. 
It may be partial at first and the rest come later and you're not there for the later, still pray. It may happen right on the spot and you may be as shocked as the person or you may be the person. Keep praying. (laughs) The same spirit that fills Jesus fills you. The same spirit that rose Christ from from the grave lives in you and me. Jesus' healing is an expression of love. Those who are determined to see it another way are called spiritually blind. Those, are, those who are determined not to allow a framework where this could be possible, Jesus calls them spiritually blind. The first time I ever remember praying for someone to be healed was a kid who was a year older than me in my youth group. He went to the lake and he had a phenomenal day water skiing. There was no indication that anything was wrong. And he woke up the next day with pain in his legs. And then by that afternoon, he was paralyzed. And we laid hands on him as a youth group. I don't ever remember doing this before. We laid hands on him. We prayed that he would be well. And he is in a wheelchair today. Faith story really out of the gate there. Thanks, Caleb. The first time I remember personally having the idea to lay hands on someone on my own and pray for them, um, I was with my mom in Tibet, and we had just come over this massive mountain passing in the foothills of the Himalayas, and uh, she was suffering altitude sickness and was not doing well. And we were in a remote area, and there wasn't any medical care to be, to be just gone out and found in any kind of immediate way, and I was scared. And I laid my hands on my mom, and I was praying for a long time with those who were with us on that trip that she would be okay, and she woke up absolutely fine the next day. I have laid my hands and prayed for children who have died three times in my life. None of them have come back. I pray for a friend who's in this room right now who is experiencing debilitating back pain and came up to me and was sharing with me about it at coffee hour. And uh, I did not like, necessarily think to pray for her. She was like, I do not want you to pray for me. And I was like, okay, well, all right, well, I guess that settles it. And then at the end of the, uh, the conversation, I was like, no, I think I will pray for you. Super short, and I'm sure it won't count, but let me just... And, um, and I pray for her, and then she texts me later that day. This was her example that I had taken, was uh, she was jumping over the turnstiles into the subway. <laughs> Praise God, I don't have to swipe anymore. <laughs> I'm healed. I tell you what, though, I pray for that person two times where they experienced something on the spot that was an abatement of symptoms, and yet, still later, that person had to go in for surgery for, to, to, uh, to correct something that was going on in her back. So there was healing, and there was still medicine involved. I, I pray for a, another friend who's here this morning who was in the hospital uh, just, a, just a month or two ago, and we, we prayed in her hospital room twice, and she got well, and she's here in this service right now. I'm not gonna point her out, you'll have to guess. I've prayed for many people and I have no idea what happened. I'm assuming they all got healed. (laughs) But let me tell you this, something that like pinged in my heart as I was writing this message is I don't have enough stories. I have stories of encouragement and stories of miraculous generosity and stories of someone coming to faith in a very unexpected way and, and love being shown and hospitality. You know how many messages we've had on hospitality? No one ever emails me. I'm really kind of against this openness to other people coming into your home. Like, 
I don't have enough stories, though, of God healing someone on the spot. I've started to see a trickle in my life, and I want to long for it, and I don't want to be put off by the fact that sometimes it doesn't happen the way I'm expecting. I want to trust the heart of God is what I'm after, not extrapolating back from every one of my experiences. I want to start at the center of the heart of God and extend outward by the power of the Holy Spirit and say, God, if you want to show love in this way, let's go. first time I shared the gospel, it was awful. My youth pastor took me to a place where people were trapped doing their laundry and released me into them. Like, they can't go anywhere, share the gospel with them. So awkward, so terrible. The first time I taught in, in, in public was youth Sunday at my church, and I had seven points that all started with F. You can get better, folks. Whatever you think of this teaching, it's better than that. The first time I led a staff for a year or a staff meeting, even or a staff retreat, it was clumsy, it was bad. And, and, and our staff now will be like, still a little clumsy. But you can get better. And I want to tell you, if you've prayed for healing with mixed results, guess what? You're in company with Jesus. If you pray for healing and you haven't seen everything you want to see, guess what? Your, your heart is starting to beat in line with God who hasn't seen everything that he's going to bring into this world as far as the kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And we have a full share and inheritance in the kingdom of God, sons and daughters, to pass along this relational kingdom in, in, in faith and love to one another. We pray for healing, asking God and expecting God's love to be shown to that person in a tangible way. We do this because it's what Jesus said and then it's what Jesus did. We pray in full faith, not in in the strength of our feeling in the moment per se, but in the person of Jesus. That's what gives our faith strength, who it is, not how we feel it. And we leave the results to God, but you can check on how the person is doing. Pray for them and then say, how do you feel? No, and if they're like exactly the same or worse, that's totally okay. Pray again. And then say, we'll leave it till next time. I'm gonna keep praying for you. We're gonna see what God might do. We, of course, we don't rule out the other ways. God might wanna make a person well, diet, exercise, medicine, therapy, but we believe in miracles of love. We know our God can heal. We know our God loves to heal. I think that's about it. My wife's giving me the wrap-up sign. Thanks a lot for that, love. She's like, you may have improved, but not all the way, pal. (laughs) Well, fine, you raised your hand. The other night at the John and Ellie event on Wednesday night, someone got up and we were sharing like, hey, do you sense anything from the spirit? And someone said, I feel like someone has a particular, and it was something in their arms. And then later, Allison registered, oh, that was me. And someone went, she went up and prayed, and she experienced it, uh, like an abatement of her symptoms right, right there that night. She experienced the healing touch of God. One, another one of our staff members, someone stood up and shared what sound, it was like one of the early ones, a very bizarre thing. I feel like someone in this room has tremendously itchy hands, and like, you know, not everyone's hands shooting up at that moment. You know, not the easiest thing to, to, to acknowledge, and then later, someone who'd been working the entire night realized they looked down and had a Band-Aid to cover this like, uh, you know, itchy spot on their hands. And they went over to the person and was like, I think you should pray for me. And she traced on her hands exactly where the, the itchy spot was. And then they prayed for healing. I don't know how you hear that. But to me, 
It's like, okay, God's saying, hey, here's some wind in your sails. Here's a little encouragement. Of course, you're gonna continue to do all the things that are in the ministry of Jesus, but I want you to, go, to know that I have an inheritance for you in this particular place. We don't have enough stories yet. Maybe we'll get some more today. What do you think God wants for the world? God loves to meet people's needs. God loves to give us a share in doing it. God loves to heal. God loves to let us in on it. God loves to give sight. God loves to restore lost vision. God loves to help people see their world and their life even when they feel like they can't. God loves to empower people to pray for healing. We want the ministry of Jesus, salvation, freedom, healing, mercy, love, and favor. When you experience God's kingdom, this is what you begin to experience. So this is what we're gonna ask for today. And I think the way we'll respond is uh, we're gonna come forward for the, for the table of communion to realize and remember with all that we are that we are rooted in Christ. His broken body and shed blood is our hope. His life and death and resurrection is where we come. And then as we're being nourished by this meal of communion, I also wanna invite three other types of responses this morning. And here's how we'll do it just for simplicity's sake. If you need God to move in your life this morning because you have something going on in your physical body that you would like to, to be made well, will you come to this part of the room? If you need healing in your physical body, come to this part of the room after you come to communion in just a few minutes when we all stand. If you wanna be prayed for, that you could grow in faith and expectation and gifting to pray for people to be well, I want you to come to the middle part of the room. And if you are like, I have no vision for this whatsoever, you can stand over here so people don't know how bad it is. But uh, <laughs> you're like, I feel like I have, I, I, I want to see, I wanna have vision for my life in a different way. I'm not necessarily ready to go to any of the other categories, but I want, I want, I want hope and expectation that, that this is possible. Come over here to this side. I may have set that side up poorly, but physical healing, to be prayed for, to receive a gift of exp an expectation, to pray for people for healing, and vision, restored vision for your life on this side. All right, let's all stand. If you're part of our prayer team or you're part of our church and you pray, I want you to feel uh, a freedom and release to come forward and, and pray for people in these next couple of moments. We're gonna come forward for communion and then these three, three areas. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this meal. I thank you that it points us again to Jesus, the covenant, unending love of Christ that we've been brought in by the cross, that we've been given the resurrection, the same spirit that rose Christ from the, from the grave lives in us. I pray you would minister healing and restored vision and, and new gifting by your spirit this morning in our church. I pray you would pour out your spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Help us to do the things that you did, Jesus. 
Help us to walk in them. Help us to have confidence that you want to show your love this morning in these ways. Nourish us by the meal and then nourish us with your love, with your healing. In Jesus' name, amen. Churches, you're ready. Come forward, receive the meal. Stop in any one of these sections and someone's going to come up and pray for you. Stay until someone prays for you and we'll continue to worship. As you're ready, come forward.